Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. If you ever travel down Encinitas Boulevard, right around where it meets the 5 Freeway, you will notice a massive line of cars outside this restaurant. Uh, In-N-Out has become this uh, really phenomenon around the, the country that people, as soon as they get onto the West Coast, the first thing they do is they go to In-N-Out and they get a cheeseburger. Um, sociologists have kind of been dumbfounded at how this very simple meal has gained this massive cult-like following. Uh, recently, Forbes magazine did an article, and in this article, it, it traces some of the family history that In-N-Out is a family-owned business, and currently right now, Lindsay Snyder, uh, the granddaughter of the original uh, owners and innovators of In-N-Out, uh, now owns this company. She's 36 years old. Uh, Forbes says she's worth $3 billion and she makes cheeseburgers. One of the things that this article in Forbes uh, pointed out that this company tends to have uh, twice the amount of profit as a normal uh, other fast food chain, yet it has a fraction of things for sale. In-N-Out sells 15 things on their menu. McDonald's and Burger King on average sell 80 things on their menu. And in this interview with Forbes, she just talked about how they're not interested in trying to find the new thing. They're interested in maintaining the authenticity and the integrity of who they always were. I found that fascinating. One of the quotes from this article said that in and out 36-year-old CEO, Lindsay Snyder's says, goals are not for us to be the biggest, says Executive Vice President Bob Lang, a 45-year-old and now veteran, really, It's about maintaining the legacy of her family and a family environment. And so when when people flock to this restaurant, it's not the variety, it's really not even the drive for success, but there's this rootedness and this simplicity that has really won over the hearts of countless people. The reason I'm bringing this up and the reason why we're filming this in front of Uh, this kind of iconic restaurant is to talk about that maybe there's a truth within our own humanity that desires this sense of simplicity. And so what we're gonna be talking about today is how do we receive the gift of limits? We're in a series right now on Jesus and emotional health and realizing that we cannot be both spiritually mature while being emotionally immature that we need both. And that the redemptive work that Jesus is about is holistic. He's desiring for us to be made whole in every aspect of the word. And so as a church, we've been focusing on this idea of emotional health. And so tonight we're talking about what does that look like um, for us as human beings to view our limitations, not as something to conquer, not as something to overcome, but what if we viewed these limitations as a gift. I mean, do you ever, do you ever think about 
how every single song from every single genre is created from the same eight notes. You think about whether you're listening to Beethoven or Mozart, whether you're listening to pop music or jazz. These masterpieces are created from the same eight notes. You think about every color that we see, every color that we paint with is coming from three primary colors. And so all around us, we have these rules that some of the most beautiful creative things around us don't come through from an excess, but rather a limitation that within that limitation can come something really vibrant and beautiful. And, that, and that's my hope today in this conversation is that we'd begin to start asking ourselves, what does God have to say about our limits? I know what culture says. I know that as a human being, limits are something that I find it frustrate me because it's something I just want to run through and run past. But I just want to draw our attention to the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. And what's fascinating is if you are an archaeologist and you go and you investigate uh, ancient Israel, what you'll find is that John the Baptist really in his time had the same fame, if not more fame, than Jesus of Nazareth. It wasn't really until Jesus' uh, final years of ministry and his death and resurrection that he really came into his own, but John the Baptist had a massive following. And so people were traveling miles in the desert from Jerusalem and Jericho out to the Jordan, out to the wilderness, to be baptized by this really obscure prophetic figure named John. And one day Jesus shows up and John has this incredible proclamation where he just starts talking about this is the Lamb of God. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that I've been proclaiming. And in John's Gospel, chapter 3, it says that an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. And so we have this dilemma where John's disciples are like, hey, this thing you do, this baptism thing that you do, this ceremonial cleansing thing, more people are going to Jesus now. And John's response here is really interesting. I want you to pay attention to what he says. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And in full joy, when he hears the bridegroom's voice, that joy is mine and it is now complete. And this famous line, he must become greater and I must become less. This is a profound moment in John's life where society and culture would just look at him and say, hey, this is, this is bad. You're following this, this momentum that you had is stopped. And John's response is, listen, I, I, I don't have anything unless it's given to me from heaven. And then he just, he clarifies, I am not the Messiah and concludes with this thought, I, I have to become less. He has to become more. And, 
and all of that, it's easy to kind of theologize that and to look at that, like, what a great person John was. But how many of us faced with the same sense of a shift in momentum or success would find ourselves, according to John, saying, my joy is complete, that joy is mine. But this is exactly what the gospel writer John is writing about John the Baptist. He's saying there's something about him that realized his identity was so secure that he wasn't chasing after just more and more and more. That he was perfectly peaceful and content when the time came for less, for a limitation, if you will. In Peace Cruzero's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he lays out uh, limitations that every single one of us has. I just want to walk through these because you might be here and be like, and you just heard this kind of American narrative of you can be anything you want to be, you can do anything you want to do. And the reality is that's kind of true, but not fully. Take, take a look at this list of limitations. Number one, your physical body. That as, as God's creation, we have with us this body that can do things and not do things. Right now, I'm healing from a stress fracture in my shin, which means I would love to run. I know how to run. I can't run. There's a limitation of what I can do. Number two, our family of origin, which we talked about last week. There's a certain sense that what we can accomplish oftentimes is, is dealt with us, the, the cards we were given based on the family that we come from. It doesn't mean that we're fully stuck, but it just means that it helps form the limitations that we have. Third, your marital status. If you're married, that's a limitation. It might be a beautiful one and a good one, but in the same way as if you're single, you have your own sense of limitation. If you have kids, you definitely have limitations. And so you have to consider that. Number four, your intellectual capacity. Science has proven not all of us are born with the same IQ. Even if you go to the same school and have the same teachers and read the same books, there's something hardwired into us biologically that it opens things up and closes things down based on what we are able to attain intellectually. Number five, your talents and gifts. The Bible is so clear. Not every single one of us has the same gifts or the same talents. Um, right now, Aaron's filming this behind a camera. I've tried that, and it was a disaster. At the same time, if I asked Aaron to switch sides with me, he probably wouldn't be super excited about that either. Because the reality is all of us have different gifts and we have different talents. Number six, um, our material wealth. Um, I'm sure there's, there's lots of things I would love to do, things, places I would like to go, but the reality is there's a limit in my life based on the means that I have that I have to live within. Uh, number seven, my own personality and wiring. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Are you open-ended or close-ended? You take things like Myers-Briggs tests or you take things like uh, the Enneagram and you start to understand, oh, I'm, I'm just wired different than other people, which means that if I'm an introvert, I might be able to go to a party and I can put on a, on a face and try and make that happen. But the reality is that's, that over time is gonna be a drain on me. That's a limitation that we have. Uh, probably the biggest one, number eight, is just time. Every single one of us has 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, and that's all we have. No matter how talented you are, how much money you have, no matter where you come from, you cannot get more time. It's a limitation in our life. Number nine, your work and relation, uh, relationship realities. And number 10, your spiritual understanding. 
I find it fascinating that God has chosen to reveal himself, this revelation knowledge. At the same time, we're never going to fully understand God. We have the gift of his word. We have the person of Jesus Christ we can look to. But we'll spend the rest of eternity understanding the depth of the glory of God. So these are just, these are just 10. It's not an exhaustive list, but just 10 things to consider right now in your life. Are you aware of your limits? And do you view them as a curse or a gift? Maybe, just maybe, there's a gift that God is wanting us to press into. Do you ever think about what the original sin was? The original sin in Gen chapter, Genesis chapter 3 is you can be like God. When we don't receive the gift of limits, we fall into that same trap. Oh, I, I, I can be that for that person. I can do that thing. I don't need to take a Sabbath or a day off. I don't really need a quiet time. There's so many emails I have to answer. I have to get the kids to dance class. I have to be able to get to that board meeting. The budget's due next month. And pretty soon, what we're doing quietly and seductively is we're believing that lie. You can be like God rather than just stopping, taking a breath, and realizing we have limits. And that's a gift to be received. And so three things to consider why this can be a gift. Number one is it allows us to surrender to the grace of God. Number two, when we accept our limitations, it helps us submit to the guidance of God. And lastly, when we understand our limits, it helps us steward the gift of God in our life. So wherever you are, uh, think right now, and maybe you're like me, and this has been a busier week. Um, I always think it's funny when God does that. But just sense in your body, are you stressed? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Can you physically feel the limitations on your life? And let's just take a look at these three themes that we find in the New Testament. Number one is that this is an opportunity to surrender. To, to not try and fight through the limitations, but to surrender to them. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, in the letter he wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a message of Satan, or the accuser, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. I mean, isn't this our prayer with our limits? God, could you just give me some more time, some more, some more intellect, some more relational capacity? Could you just take this limit away? But listen, this is, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here's the, the, the amazing Apostle Paul, and he has this prayer. God, this, this thorn, we don't know what it is. He's pleading with God, take it away. It's three times. It's a Jewish way of saying, I asked for this in the most complete sense of the word. And God's answer is, and this is a limitation for you, Paul. But my grace is sufficient for you. So here'd be my encouragement to you. 
If you are struggling with this sense of a limited human ability, can I just offer you this invitation? Just surrender, admit it. Because in that place, you'll be met with God's grace. He says it's all sufficient. If you read all of 1 Corinthians, guess what the only red letters highlighted are these words, my grace is sufficient for you. Number two, when we become honest with our limitations and recognize them as as a gift, we are able to submit to the guidance of God. Take this example of of Jesus' own life, and obviously Jesus is fully God, which means that he has the right to do all these things, but he chose to live out his humanity so that we could identify with him as human being. Oftentimes, when we are overstepping our limitations, we are stepping into the omnis. And what the omnis are, are the, the attributes of God that he's omnipresent. He's, he's everywhere. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. And so oftentimes, isn't that what we're chasing? I want to be everywhere at all times. I would like to know everything possible. I would like to be all powerful. Now, the, the seductive lie of our culture through technology is we're leaning more and more into thinking that that's actually attainable. Can I just tell you right now, it's not. And let's look at Jesus Christ who had the ability to, to, to live out this divine sense of having no limits. But listen to what happened here. In Mark chapter one, it records him being in this village, he, healing Simon's mother-in-law. Since that evening after sunset, the people brought Jesus, all the sick and demon possessed, the whole town gathered at the door. Just think about that. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now listen to verse 35. Listen to the twist here. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him and they found him. They exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Let's stop right there. If that was me or you, we'd be like, sweet. Like I got success, momentum. I got upward mobility. This thing is starting to catch, right? The second quarter is looking better than the first quarter. I mean, however you want to describe it, listen to what Jesus' response here. It says, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. I find it fascinating that after the most notable night in Jesus' ministry up to that point, there's a crowd waiting for him to return. He sneaks away and what does he do? He gets guidance from his father. And he says, I'm not gonna chase the momentum and the success that's right in front of me because the Spirit of God, my Heavenly Father, is leading me somewhere else. What would it look like if as followers of Jesus, we didn't live our lives responding to the need or the next thing or the best opportunity, but we responded obediently to the Holy Spirit? Lastly, when we receive the gift of limits, we'll be able to better steward the gift of God. Matthew 25, verses 25, um, starting in verse 14, there's this great parable. I'd encourage you to read it. I'm just going to summarize it. But the master of this house gives out these bags of gold, or another 
parables talks about these talents. There's one, there's two, and there's five. When the master returns, he's looking for the bag that had five and it was multiplied five more. He was looking at the bag of two and it was multiplied two more. And the one that was one, it says that the servant just buried it. But the ones who multiplied it, the response is, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, the guy who had two talents, two bags of gold, when the master shows up, when God shows up and he's like, hey, I have four, he's like, man, that guy has 10. You should have, you should have tried to get 10. No, he, he was given a certain amount, a limited divine gift from heaven. And what was asked to be doing is to steward it well. Please hear me. We live in a culture that's obsessed with comparison. We live in a culture that's constantly looking at what are they doing? What's working for them? And I, I believe the culture we live in, we're probably some of the worst at that. So here's a gift for you from, not from me, but from the scriptures. You don't have to mimic someone else's fruit. You have to steward what God has given you. So what is that? And the minute we step outside of the unique gift and wiring that God has given us, the limits that God has given us, and we try and replicate what someone else is doing, what we will find is that we are no longer yoked with the easy yoke of Jesus Christ. We find ourselves yoked with society and culture and success rather than stewarding what God has given you. So again, what I would encourage you to do is maybe pause the video, stop the video, and think through, have you been living outside of your limits with your energy, with your emotional health, with your finances, with your time, and what would it look like for you to like, I'm talking like right now, take out your calendar and change some things around. Text some people and ask for help. Get the kids watched and take a walk on the beach and go pray. And whatever that looks like for you, be honest with your limitations and live into them as a gift because it's in our weakness that Christ's power is made perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we do not have to somehow create more of us. <laughs> the Lord, all of us right now have certain limits. And I, to be honest, we don't know what to do with them. So God, we choose to deny them and push through them. And we live at an unhealthy pace with unhealthy expectations. And Lord, you've never asked us to do that. So help us, Lord God, become aware of the unique wiring, calling, gifting, and guidance that you've given to each one of us. And let us live into that in a healthy way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. Thank you.